to another episode of the Dan and Joe Sports Show. As always, I'm Dan. And I'm Joe. And Joe, we're going to do a little special kind of recap of last week's college football games. And we're going to do it in kind of a different method than I've ever had it before, which is I'm going to name a number that could be from the and then we'll recap what happened in it. And I had a name this segment, Sissy Blue Scores, in honor of Coach O's amazing get your ass home, that's just a real sharp comment to UCLA, which, of course, ended up going the other way. And, Coach O, we got more for you coming up with Sissy Blue Shirt references throughout the show tonight. So the first one is, why don't we start with the Sissy Blue Shirts, the beat up on the Bengal Tigers, and two, Joe, two is my first number. Two is the amount of running backs that had over 100 yards rushing against LSU in UCLA's Thoroughly dominant 38 to 27 victory over LSU, which in all reality probably should have been a lot worse. Oh, absolutely. I mean, the final score did not indicate the demolition that we saw out in uh, um, Westwood or Pasadena this past weekend. And it was really the only saving grace for the Pac 12 conference. You know, they kind of had a bad showing for the most part, with the exception of uh, LSU getting that upset win. But I did see kind of one AP pollster actually left LSU in the top 25, which stunned me, and had them only one spot below uh, UCLA at like 24. Obviously, that person didn't watch that game. <laughs> That's the only explanation. I feel like Charbonnet could have had 200 yards if he really wanted to in that game. If they didn't have the other guy, Charbonnet would have gotten 200 yards. Is he a transfer from Michigan, Charbonnet? Yeah, Charbonnet is a transfer from Michigan. And he looked really good, and I was uh, surprised with how well the uh, DTR looked. He didn't make a lot of mistakes. I mean, he didn't have a fantastic game, but it was kind of like a workman-like Bo Nix type game. You know, he threw for like 200 yards. He rushed for about 60, got all the big first downs with his legs when he had to and made some tough runs, but he didn't turn the ball over. And then the other running back that UCLA had, I can't, his name was like Brian Britt or something like that. It was like two Bs. But he was a big running back and had a lot of yards, too. He also eclipsed 100. And, I mean, it was just it was a very impressive showing. And not only on the offensive side, their defense, I thought, shut down LSU pretty well, too. Yeah, no, absolutely. LSU had some playmakers on defense, you know, on offense, especially in the wide receiver position, as we know. And so, yeah, just an all-around impressive uh, showing by UCLA, um, the running game especially. And you kind of feel like, you know, this is that momentum that Chip Kelly has been searching for in his tenure at UCLA. You know, maybe this is the year where the Pac-12 is kind of weak, where they can make some noise. That's right, Jim. We talked about it before the season that both Chip Kelly and Scott Frost were in their fourth year. And one of them, or probably both of them, needed to have that kind of jump here to survive and to cement their status with the program. See, it seems like it's going the other way with Nebraska. But with Chip Kelly, it looks like he's finally got his guys in there, his system's working, and he's starting to get that upper-class talent from California like what he did with Oregon. I mean, the thing is, he's recruiting the same guys he recruited in Oregon, but now they're actually closer to him. So I think ultimately he may be more successful here if he can trim what he's doing. And you and I have talked about this. There's no reason the UCLA shouldn't be good at football. No, there's not. And it seems like they just got to they got to kind of galvanize the fan base behind him because it is puzzling that they don't have you know as many fans of the games. Maybe a big win 
Pac four, Pac twelve front runners. I think Oregon's a, a paper tiger this year. Yeah, I'm skeptical of Oregon too, especially if uh, Thibodeau misses time. That's right. All right, Joe. So our first one was two. Now the next one I got is three. Three is the amount of rushing yards that Clemson had against that vaunted Georgia defense. Um, and what an incredible showing by Georgia's defense winning that game, not giving up any offensive touchdowns. And, in fact, they won a game without themselves scoring an offensive touchdown because they got the defensive touchdown. So not only did they hold Clemson without an offensive touchdown, they themselves beat Clemson even on the scoreboard because they got the only touchdown of the game. Uh, looked absolutely dominant. They sacked uh, DJ Uyakalele seven times. And, Joe, I think it's pretty apparent that, you know, DJ's got a lot of talent, but he is nowhere near on the level of Trevor Lawrence or where Trevor Lawrence was at that point in his career. And I know that's a tough spot to be put in, but he, I don't think he's going to end up being as good as Trevor Lawrence or even close to him. No, absolutely not. And it's unfortunate. I really thought coming into this start, I think a lot of people did, that his experience last year, starting two games and playing extremely well against Notre Dame and giving them a chance to win that game in overtime, I thought that was going to bode well for him to be prepared coming into the start, even though it was against such a talented defense in Georgia. So I was really surprised that Clemson struggled that much. Thought they would at least get a couple of touchdowns throughout the game. But on the Georgia side, you know, you have to give that defense so much credit. And every time I watch the Kobe Dean on the field of linebacker, I'm always reminded about how he's, you know, from Horn Lake, Mississippi, not that far away from Oxford. One of those, as uh, Katy Perry would say, the one that got away. Yeah, I thought about that a lot, too. I was like, man, I wish we had that guy. Because linebacker's been such a weak position for us the last few years. We really could have used him. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, so, I mean, what a great effort by Georgia. Um, you know, of course, Alabama would like the best team, and they are. But Georgia definitely has a defense that can compete with them. The jury's out whether they have an offense that can hang with them. But, you know, one thing that I heard, and I heard uh, – Barrett Salee talked about this on his radio show, and I thought this was so great. Not a lot of people talked about it. The Georgia offense didn't have to do anything, though. And I feel like they played it close to the best because you could see after one quarter that DJ was shook. They weren't getting any rushing yards. That offensive line was porous. And Clemson's defense was so good that Georgia just didn't want to do take any risks, do anything to mess up their own defensive effort. And so I kind of think that Georgia left a lot to, not just left a lot to be desired, but left a lot of things hidden in the jacket right there that they didn't bust out in that game. And I don't think that's indicative of what their offense is. That's actually a fascinating perspective. I had not considered that. It could be, you know, a theory of gamesmanship. You know, you don't want to show your hand on all your cards. And then additionally, you know, you kind of call the game. Like Todd Monkey, the offense coordinator, can kind of call the game based on how it's going. And if Clemson's not going to score any points, then you really don't have to do a whole lot. Exactly. You can let their defense, Clemson's defense, be elite while not putting yourself in a bad situation with the knowledge, which anyone had from watching that game, that Clemson was not going to score a touchdown against them. They weren't. Mm -hmm. Right, right. So now there's not that tape on your offense as much. Like the jury's still out. You're right. Like it kind of um, allows so you to have that big shoulder, too, offensively. I think that was kind of a wise idea. So we'll see if I'm right, but I, I kind of believe that theory based on the way that game went. Well, I mean, they're also missing, you know, some wide receivers, you know, in Georgia. 
Um, and, and I got to think that JT Daniels is going to show improvement throughout the season. Like I'm more confident that he can show improvement compared to DJ. That's right. Well, let, let's go to the other team that looks so incredibly impressive. And that's Alabama. Uh, everyone talked about, well, you know, you had to replace two of Mac Jones came in to go. Mac Jones, he was a redshirt senior at that time. You know, he'd been around for a long time. Seemed like you'd seen a lot of what he could do as a starter. Bryce Young, meanwhile, was a complete unknown. We know he's a five-star. We know he's a big-time guy. But how about this number, Joe? 344. 344 yards passing in Bryce Young's first start ever. And not only that, I mean, he had something like, I think it was like 12 of 18 when he was under pressure with three touchdowns and like 200 yards. Uh, and a lot of those big-time throws he made was when he had to sprint, when he had to make some moves with his legs. He was quite elusive. And I saw zero flaws in his game. and was just floored with how good he was. Yeah, I was just floored as well. That's very well said. I mean, because a lot of people, from what I was hearing on other podcasts, had some skepticism about how the Alabama offense would look this year with Bryce Young in the quarterback position. Because you also have a new offense coordinator, Bill O'Brien from the Texans, um, who you're working in. So there's some adjustments there. And so I thought that this was a year where Alabama would still be great long term, but I thought they would show, show some signs of struggle offensively in that first game. Like if you had told me compared to the two quarterbacks that DJ and Bryce Young, you know, would both perform like that, like I would have been surprised. Like I would have thought that DJ would come out there and be the one that played more seasoned, but you would have almost thought that Bryce Young was the guy coming off a couple of starts last year. That was what really surprised me. Yeah, Bryce Young definitely looked like the more experienced quarterback that game. And DJ looked shell shocked. I mean, frankly, he really did. He, you know, he had the deer in the headlights look a lot, and the moment was a little too big for him, I think. Yes, yes. I mean, with Bryce Young and, and everything else they have on that offense, John Mechie, I mean, the running game really didn't miss a beat. And it also amazed me how they're able to uh, replace offensive linemen as well. Yeah, I mean, did you, would you watch that video of Evan Neal? how he could do that deal where he jumped up and, like, spread his legs on that thing, like, four feet above his head, like, just every time, like, perfectly. Guys, like, 350 pounds. It's amazing. Yes. And he's, like, 6'8", I think, height. Yeah, he's, like, 6'8", 350, something like that, and he can do that. I mean, it's amazing how athletic these offensive linemen are now. Yes, because I know they lost their starting left tackle from last year, so I guess they just moved Evan Neal to left tackle and just, they don't miss the at all. Well, and Joe, I mean, we knew that Matthew would come in and he'd be the guy. He'd be the, the new number one receiver. The question was who the number two guy would be. And I think we got an early dose early and often as to who the number two guy is going to be, who basically the Mechie this year is going to be. And that was Jameis Williams. Dude, super fast, showed a lot, had over 100 yards receiving in that game. And now Alabama's at least got two amazing wide receivers again. Assuredly, probably more than that. Right. Right. So, Joe, speaking of uh, offensive triumphs, why don't we go 60? This is a number that I don't ever associate with all the modern favorite team, Auburn. But, hey, 60 points in Brian Harson's uh, debut. Now, granted, Akron's one of the worst teams in D1. Now, they only won one game in the last two years. However, Bro Nick started off 11 for 11. At the end of the game, he had the highest completion percentage in a single game in the history of Auburn football. And Auburn put up 60 points, and I thought they could have put up more. I think they had like 48 by halftime. The offense looks fantastic. 
And I was really impressed, like I said, with what I saw with Bo Nix in the first game. And so I, I got to say, you know, 60 points is something that made me really happy. And by the way, I didn't think there was any way that Auburn could get into the top 25 poll based on beating a team like Akron, putting up 60 points, winning 60 to 10, Auburn's down to 25. You know, that makes sense based on that performance. And you know, it reminds me, I think, about, you know, our other team on this with their Sugar Bowl season in 2015. They come out and put up 66 points on, or maybe it was 70 points on uh, Tennessee Martin. And even though, you know, that was a weak team from a small conference, you know, it still bode well through the rest of the season. And, you know, maybe this is another sign for Auburn. It's going to be a pretty good season. I think that Auburn will definitely play a factor in the, in the SEC to some degree. I think that's, you know, undeniable based on what we saw Saturday and then based on, you know, some of the players they have coming back uh, on this roster. That's right, Joe. I mean, they're not going to throw the two number out for Auburn, too, because they ended up having two running backs to over 100 yards. Tank got over 100, and the new freshman they have from Philadelphia, Mississippi, Jarquez Hunter, got over 100 yards uh, rushing as well. Uh, Jarquez a three-star that Auburn got at the end of the recruiting class, but who a lot of people said was a little bit underrated. And he ended up being Auburn's number three guy in that game, but got more carries than number two guy, Sean Shivers. He ended up getting 100 yards, so it could be another future running back that's going to be good. Well, I think so. The running game is really the secret ingredient, or really not the secret ingredient, but it's like, you know, really what will um, the straw that stirs the drink. Because when they have the running game like Auburn does, it really helps out against these uh, prolific offenses because you can eat the clock. That's right. But like I said, I mean, I, I think, you know, it really needs to be pointed out that the Bonex three touchdown passes had about 250 yards passing. And like I said, went 11 11 to begin off. And I think he finished something like 19 to 21. And it was just a great effort from him. And we're really going to see how much he's progressed in two weeks when they go up to Happy Valley. I'll be there. And we get to see them against what turned out to be a great Penn State defense, and especially, you know, in that game against Wisconsin because they needed every bit of that defense. Yeah, that would be a great scene in a couple of weeks. Definitely excited for you to get to go on that trip, as we've talked about before. But, yeah, the last thing I'll say about Auburn, though, I think about Brian Harson and that hire. I know a lot of people around the SEC probably saw that as a little bit underwhelming. But I thought for the last couple of years that SEC schools should have considered him. Like, I really thought Arkansas made a mistake not to hire him and go after uh, Sam Pittman a couple of years ago. Yeah, I thought so, too. Well, Joe, uh, Auburn, of course, their defense, we all knew they were going to be good. Ended up uh, getting, only giving up 10 points, trash points at the end. And, you know, we all knew they'd have a good defense. We knew Kobe McClain, the returning leading tackler in America, would do well. Owen Papo is probably a top 10 draft pick linebacker. Smoke Monday, these are guys we knew would be good. What we didn't know would be zero. That's how many points Ole Miss's defense came up in the first half against Louisville. Couldn't believe it. The defense looked great. Had a couple fourth down stops. Really tough. And I know they ended up giving up 24, but yet again, a lot of these were trash points when the game was kind of over. Maybe had some of the backup guys in. Louisville was pressing. I was very impressed by Ole Miss's defense. I think that bodes well for them, and maybe they could win some games, but I think they could win this year based on that defense. Yes. I felt like I was watching, you know, circa 2014 or 15 to an extent with what I saw. Like, this is the most excited I've been about all this football since Chad Kelly was there. And you look at the defense, I think that one of the keys is the addition of transfer Chance Campbell from Maryland. I mean, he's 
such a leader in the locker room and on the field. He did a good job in the first half, especially uh, defending against the run on uh, Malik Newman, the Malik uh, Cunningham, you know, who's a very good athlete and is all right for uh, the quarterback position in Louisville. But yeah, just overall, just very pleased with the Ole Miss defense. You know, feel like this could be a very good year for them, and they could probably win easily nine games if everything goes right. Uh, offensively, you know, everything looked really good. Uh, they're, they're just so fast up and down the field. I mean, it's hard for us to think of a team that moves as fast as them, you know, in the country. It's just unbelievable with the pace of running a play every few seconds. The only thing, Dan, objectively speaking, that concerns me about all this, I'll, I'll look at two things. Number one, the speed of the, the pace that they run their offense that concerns me that they're going to overwork the defense because they're going to have these quick two-minute scoring drives and that the defense is going to be on the field like too much against some of these other SEC teams that are going to have more depth. And then second, speaking of depth, I'm concerned that Ole Miss just doesn't have you know enough depth coming off the bench, and so they're going to get worn out through the uh, longevity of an SEC schedule. It's totally possible, Joe, but one thing I can say is that they have no lack of depth in the running back room because can you believe that Snoop Conner is not their number two guy, especially the way he trumped that Louisville player for that touchdown? I mean, that was so amazing. And that was one of the best, like, posterized running back moments I've seen in a long time. Yes, no, it certainly was. And you had um, kind of a thunder and lightning approach with Parrish and Ely being guys that can catch balls out of the backfield as receivers. You had Snoop Connors, that thunder. It was kind of like how Mark Ingram and Kamara used to be a couple of years ago with the Saints. So this is a great combination. You're right. This is the most depth Ole Miss has ever had at running back. 100%. I mean, you know, it, you know uh, this, is, this is a huge, uh, don't say I'm putting it in the same hemisphere at all, but a little bit similar to when 2004, not only did Auburn have Cornell and Ronnie, also had Brandon Jacobs as the big man sitting there at number three. Who, after you've gotten all the guys from speed and from up the middle, you get the big bruiser in there to really run people down. That's kind of the way Snoop Connor's going to work with this offense. Yes, yes. And for Lane Kiffin specifically, he's able to kind of liken it to how he used uh, Lindell White and Reggie Bush together you know, with the USC offense. So there's a lot of you know, historical precedent for him to work with here. And then the receivers you know, we haven't talked about, they're very talented. These are guys that have been with the program for a couple of years. They're older and experienced, like Drummond and Sanders and Mingo, and they're really uh, ready to become household names this year. Yeah, Drummond looked fantastic in that game. And he was obviously someone that I knew about, but he wasn't one of the ones that I was really like thinking would be the guy this year. I kind of thought Mingo would probably end up being him. But, I mean, definitely really great effort there. Um, by Drummond, that I think he's going to end up being probably the guy for all those. I think so. How did you think Matt Corral looked overall? I thought Corral looked fantastic. I was uh, I was very happy with the way that Corral did, and um, you know, especially his leadership. I was very impressed with Matt Corral's leadership. Like, I mean, he picked up guys when things weren't going good, and uh, everything was good with that. And so, tune in. Uh, we'll be right back talking 